Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Lisa Toy, a social worker and expressive arts therapist with a private practice focused on trauma, dissociative disorders, and grief. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Lisa. Thanks for joining us as a guest today. I'm really happy to be with you. Great. So what um, we're doing in this series of conversations is I'm talking to different professionals and people working in the field of grief and bereavement um, about myths and misconceptions that are out in the communities that we are talking to, the people we're talking to. And you and I would like today to talk about the idea, um, the misconception that grief is a pathological experience Um, And that trauma is also considered to be a pathological experience. And so our conversation today is hopefully going to focus on how we can address the idea, in fact, share it with everyone, that grief and trauma are both universal experiences, that we all carry some experience of grief, we all carry some experience of trauma, and it's not... uh, um, it's not a pathological experience outside of the norm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if we begin there, you know, what are some of the thoughts that you, you really would like people to know and hear about that idea? Well, I, I, I love that framing because I think that both are often treated as pathological. And I think this, even this, this word pathology, I think somewhere along the line, it was meant to be a descriptive term, but it's picked up so much judgmental baggage over the ages that I think people really hear pathology as uh, that something is wrong. And I think that, you know, if we take kind of a trauma-informed perspective and we shift the question from what's wrong with you to what happened to you, it really, I mean, I think that's just a much more interesting um, question because I think that for any individual on the planet, when we really dig into their story and the context in which their life events have unfolded, there's always a reason for why things are the way they are. And invariably, people are usually doing the best they can in the moment with the circumstances that are arising. And and the way things unfold or the, the choices they make or the behaviors that, that happen usually make sense, right? So it's not that they, they may not serve in the current day environment, but they typically come from somewhere that is really understandable and that we might even see as kind of being natural in the context. So that kind of depathologizes that idea that, you know, in the context of trauma, stuff happens and we and we roll with it. That's right. That that actually we can accept the fact that everybody experiences these things that um, cause feelings and uh, inner turmoil and changes to our person and our our life and all of these things. And so, if we if we come to accept that death and grief and trauma are a part of the human experience, we're not looking to make it a problem. We are able to embrace it and to um, begin from a place of um, expecting everybody to have it, which means yeah. that 
we're talking about what what is the foundation of what's causing you problems right now so you created a behavior or a behavior developed perhaps is more appropriate to say something is happening that's not working for you right now yeah it comes from somewhere and i think that when we can let go of the is this wrong or is this right then it makes just a huge amount of space to be curious and kind about like how has this come to be the way it is? And more importantly, what kind of care does it need to restore us to an improved sense of well-being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it allows space for everybody to have this experience in their own way, in their own time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. when we talk about the intersection of grief and trauma, and when they come together, you know, what sort of things does that raise up for you as you're thinking about how you want people to understand that experience? Well, I think one of the things about trauma is that although we're kind of making the argument that it's universal and nobody gets through life without experiencing it, I don't think that's the dominant paradigm that most people in our society hold. Um, I think, uh, you know, trauma wasn't um, kind of understood or accepted as a common phenomenon. It was, you know, started as shell shock um, in the way people thought it was this really aberrant, strange, particular, happens to them kind of experience. And I think as um, trauma therapy and research kind of evolves, we're coming to understand more and more deeply that in fact, what causes trauma is deeply subjective. It can be really subtle. It's not always the overt, um, you know, it's not always the natural disasters or, the uh, frank abuse, um, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the uh, car accidents, the being held up at gunpoint. It's not always, I mean, those dramatic life events absolutely can create trauma, but it's certainly not confined to those. And trauma can happen in quite subtle ways. And also when trauma shows up in our lives, in our physiology, in our emotions, in our mind, Sometimes it can be a long time after those events happened, and sometimes it can be um, kind of catalyzed or brought into our awareness by something else that um, in its own accord may be traumatic or may not even be traumatic, but that there's a way in which it brings stuff into awareness or activates things in us that had been previously tidily contained and put away. Right. So some past experience we've had has impacted us in a way that's left a bit of a wound and something new we experience like a loss, some kind of grieving kind of reopens that old wound in a new way um, or in the same old way. But but now and um, and then we have some more work to do in terms of trying to heal that wound. Yeah. And that's very, very common that when people come to the experience of grief, we're not just coming, you know, fresh, bright and shiny, new. We're coming with all of all of our life history and all of the stories and all of the narratives and all of the kind of impressions and schemas that we have. And if there's something about this death that's happened in our life that evokes, you know, has any kind of connection to a past story, um, I'm responsible, I should have done something different, um, Uh, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, I'm going to be alone, the world is not safe, which lots of us come to those stories for really, really, really good reasons. If if that gets um, 
poked at by by the death in our life, they can really be powerfully activated. So that we're not just working with this current layer of grief, we're working with an entire backstory that may in fact be traumatic and complicate the course of our grieving. Mm-hmm. And particularly because grief is really related to attachment and mm-hmm. love and all those feelings that come with attachment, um, as well, you know, along with love, um, then then the kinds of experiences that s- seem to be triggered by grief are often related to those attachments that we have or haven't had. Yeah, and and that can be about am I lovable? Or, you know, am I going to be alone? Is the world safe? It goes down to those very basic existential. Um, early life things about am am I safe do I have people to be here with me are there people that can take care of me Mm -hmm. yeah and so I think if we are able to help people understand that the loss in the moment is is part of their pain um, but that it's often connected to those old early beliefs that they learned about the world in their experiences um, and that some of the healing is in learning that um, that they are safe. How how are they safe now? And that the world can be a safe place, and that they are lovable. How are they lovable now? And right. that kind of work is uh, both about grief and about um, trauma and about their whole existence and development as a human. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that lots of people who maybe had um, you know, secure attachments or good enough early life experiences and with not a lot of adversity, maybe aren't going to struggle with those kinds of questions in their grieving. And really the work of grief is the already enormously difficult work of trying to accept the truth um, of the death of somebody and to, um, to figure out how they live on in our existence and to figure out how to be in the world in a new way without their physical presence. That is big work in and of itself when there are these other pieces involved, um, it can really complicate grieving. And I think statistically, when you know the research on um, complicated grief disorder says it's about one in 10 people, I think when we think about, you know, that's in the general population, um, but I think when we think about like clinical populations of the people that come seeking support, that it's gonna be a much, much higher number, obviously because people who are struggling are gonna be seeking support, but also, it's people who have um, experienced the death of somebody who is profoundly important, profoundly close to them, that are going to be uh, showing up for care. So it may be, you know, if we're talking about grief relative to a neighbor, or grief relative to, you know, uh, an extended family member that one didn't know very well, or, you know, those those um, farther away relationships, and complexities in grieving are less common. But I think... Um, I think in general, they actually are very common. So it's really important for people who are listening to understand that if you are somebody who is struggling with your grief in some way, and not just because the course of grieving itself is so difficult, but because it feels like there's some kind of hook or there's a there's a traumatic component or whatever that may be, that that's actually super quote unquote normal, that it's mm-hmm. very, very common and very understandable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that's Really what we want to underscore today is that you can expect this to happen. When you lose someone you love, you can expect to grieve. You can expect that it may open some old wounds. Um, And even if it doesn't open old wounds, it may still be really powerful. And 
that you and that powerful experience of grief are worthy of support as you work through the process to feel okay again, to come back enough to yourself to carry forward, carrying the experiences in your in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for this conversation, for joining me today on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing. Mm -hmm.